Hi everyone, this is Brand Sparks, and welcome to our final throwback episode of our long hiatus that we've been taking these past few weeks. Uh, next week, we're returning uh, from our break with Mob Mafia movies we'll be discussing in February. Our first episode will be Scarface. Dave and I will be talking about that. And then the next episode, Thomas, David, and I will be discussing Goodfellas for our 300th episode. So stay tuned for that. But today, we're throwing it back to August 2021, where we did a specific series on female filmmakers. We... We like discussing filmmakers a lot on this show. We haven't done it in a bit. Our last one we did was Catherine Bigelow for a full month. We used to do like an episode per director and it's fun to do. It's get, it's gotten a little hard by the amount of movies that a director might do. Uh, but we had been doing a lot of these. We had done, I believe we'd done Bob Fosse. We'd done Richard Linklater. We had done John Hughes at all these points before we did this month of female filmmakers. And we wanted to kind of showcase certain uh, women filmmakers that we loved and that might not have fit with a genre because initially our our conceit of the show was to do like an old movie a new movie uh a kind of random movie within the genre and then to find like to 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 cap off our series discussion we would do a director who would work within that genre and we noticed we had picked a lot of male directors and we wanted to kind of focus on female filmmakers that might not have fit with a specific genre that we wanted to discuss uh, we had discussed uh karen kusama who had done jennifer's body eon flux and uh most recently destroyer with nicole kidman i believe was her last movie she might have one one after that, that i'm blanking on but then we also did Amy Heckerling, who did uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless. And we also did Deborah, Deborah Granick, who did Winter's Bone, Leave No Trace. But one of the filmmakers we talked about was Nancy Myers, who is probably the one out of all the four that fits into a specific category. Most people consider her movies all romantic comedies. Nancy Myers is someone whose work we've enjoyed for many, many years. I grew up on The Parent Trap and then watched The Holiday when it came out and It's Complicated and all the all of her movies. I saw a lot of them in theaters too, surprisingly, uh, even for like, I think The Intern was one of her last ones and I saw that in theaters when I was living or living in LA as I've been living in LA. And she's someone that I've just, we've, we've both liked and I've seen a lot of people revisiting her work a lot more since we did this episode on Nancy Myers. I had uh, several friends recently over the holiday season that watched a lot of her movies for the first time. So we felt like if we're going to showcase kind of a director that we've covered before, we thought she might be a good one to kind of re-release basically. But we had, we've had so many great directors we've covered on here. We did, I think we did Michael Mann was one of our more recent ones a year ago. We did Mel Brooks for parody movies. Michael Mann was for heist movies. Um, so many great directors. So go back and check those out. Um, the Female Filmmaker Month was in August 2021. I think it's around episodes 170 or so. Um, so check those out. Uh, th these are These are fun for us to do because we can look at all these different or a lot of movies from one filmmaker. And we start to see kind of the trends and patterns, patterns, the tropes and just ideas they are trying to explore. And Nancy Myers is, is one that falls into that category of all the different connections and just repeating ideas that you'll see. So we hope you enjoyed this episode, the Starbuck episode of Nancy Myers. Feel free to check out any of our other director episodes. If there's a director you want us to cover, maybe for a month, we can try and do that again. Uh, it just takes a lot of time because the amount of movies that a director might have. But yeah, send us your your thoughts, your ideas of directors you might want to see us cover. 
uh, will consider it because we love doing that. And that's some of Thomas's favorite episodes. And he always wants to kind of return to that. It's just finding the time. So if you guys have any ideas, any ideas for that, we have a few. But we want to hear what you guys think on some directors you might want to hear us talk about. So, so yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode of Nancy Myers, kind of her whole life, her movies, all that stuff. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories in them. But this month, we're doing something new, as we've said. Uh, each week this month, we'll be talking about a specific filmmaker or a specific female filmmaker. That's kind of our, occur- our reoccurring uh, theme for this month. And uh, many of our director episodes have been kind of male-dominated, as we said before. Uh, we have a lot of female filmmakers that we don't always discuss or sometimes doesn't fit into the genres we're doing for the month and all that stuff. But today's director that we're talking about, I feel like this has been in the works for a while. I feel like this has been mentioned several times uh, of the person we're doing today. But before we dive into the work of Nancy Myers, um, what we talked about this this these past few weeks, Thomas, in terms of female filmmakers? Uh, well, we've talked... A lot more the about kind of the journey that they have to go through. Yeah. And um, it's a little bit more difficult, obviously. We know from past experience or past information from any industry, it's a little bit more difficult. But um, but movies specifically, we've talked about how difficult it is to a either keep your vision intact, uh, especially within like an independent uh, production model like Deborah Granick. But also to keep your uh, vision intact within a studio model, like we've talked about Karen Kusama and her experience specifically with Eon Flux, kind of being taken off of the movie completely, being brought back. Uh, and then and then we've we've talked about the concept of movie jail, which is this idea for any filmmaker that if you make a bad movie, you got to go to purgatory for a little while before you can make your next one. But movie jail as we've seen, always seems to last a little bit longer for the female mm-hmm. filmmakers after a flop than it does yep. for the men who a lot yeah. of times can just come right back with the next one. No, I agree completely. And what's going to be odd about today is that Nancy Myers is like the opposite of our previous two people <laughs> because Nancy Myers, to my knowledge, in terms of making stuff, has never really been put in movie jail because she has constantly been successful and she's been able to kind of consistently, not as much, not as much as she should, but has been able to consistently make stuff that she is interested in, um, compared to say Deborah Granick, who kind of always has trouble with getting stuff off the ground. But today, what I think we're talking about with Nancy Myers is this idea of, I think, gender bias with this in terms of how a filmmaker is viewed, mm. um, where someone who is very deliberate and meticulous. Uh, with say a Scorsese or a Spielberg is considered a huge as an auteur and a or even Tarantino because Tarantino is going to be relevant to today's episode um, of just how kind of consistent their vision is, how true their vision is and how much like the vision is theirs and right. how it's applauded by most men. But with someone like Nancy Myers is kind of put into the quote unquote chick flick category which is every article i've read about her about talking about kind of her influence has always been people always put her in this box of she writes chick flicks and it's not real it's it's easy but 
it's it's been very interesting looking at her works this past week uh, after watching everything like kind of back to back to back like this of just how deliberate many of her things are, mm-hmm. um, her visual style. That's why I say this thing is kind of been building to us doing Nancy Myers episode. So what's what's been your history of Nancy Myers, Thomas? Well, I would say um, I definitely got started on Nancy Myers young, as I think many people of our age did, because Parent Trap was like prime going to movies age for me. Yeah. yeah, 98. I was six. Uh, as far as I can remember, Lindsay Lohan was my first crush. Okay. <laughs> I remember the the Disney store at the mall had a, had like cardboard cutouts of Lindsay Lohan in the window, and I was like, "That girl is cute," and I didn't even know like I was sick. <laughs> but yeah, we saw my family definitely saw Parent Trap in theaters. We were big. My parents were big on like showing us the old school uh, live action Disney movies when I was a kid. So we had definitely seen like we we had a VHS copy of the original Parent Trap, and. Um, yeah, so we, we saw it probably opening weekend and that was one we got like immediately on VHS after it came out. And that was a staple for like road trips with the little the little VCR in the car. And yep. um, I remember one night we made it's it's funny. My um, our babysitters like new boyfriend came over one night and mm-hmm. we made him watch both parent traps back to back and he sat. And I remember he like laughed during the new parent trap. He had never seen it before. And um, they're married and have like three kids now. So, you know, good for uh, him. He passed, he passed the test. Oh, there we go. That's not parent trap brings people together. And <laughs> b- both both literally in the movie and outside of it. Uh, that's great. But yeah. And then and then it just kind of became I remember I distinctly remember my parents going on a date to see what women want and coming home and being like that movie was hilarious. And then uh a lot of her stuff became TBS regulars yeah. on the weekends. Yep. I saw a lot of these movies. Um, I told I, I told you right before we started. Uh, aside from Parent Trap and The Holiday, I don't know that I've ever watched an ans- an, any of her other movies beginning to end. It's just something I caught in pieces on TBS many many times. Yeah, and so here's the thing: going off, you said you your your parents did date night. What would I want? Uh, I feel like I've seen I saw four of her movies. She's directed six films. I feel like I saw four of them in theaters. Really? Like, I think my parents took me to what one want. I, I believe that happened. I believe that was a thing. Um, because Parent Trap I saw, what one one I saw. I I have a, a very specific story with It's Complicated that I did see that in theaters. And I did see The Intern in theaters. So big Nancy Myers fanboy, I'm realizing in this episode. <laughs> I knew I liked her. I didn't know I liked her this much. I will say this, as we talked about previously and we've kind of texted back and forth the one thing that we didn't realize with her movies until this episode is how long they are mm-hmm. i didn't realize how long they were until i was like going through them. i was like oh every one of these films is over two hours long yeah which is something i yeah like i said i've i've definitely seen what women want from beginning to end previously yeah. i had seen something's got to give from beginning to end previously but i don't think i'd ever done it in one sitting and and you don't you don't realize, you know, if you do have something on the TV, you it's got commercials cut in. So you don't really realize how long the actual runtime is. But yeah, I, I put on something's got to give and, and it popped up like two hours and 15 minutes. And I was like, really? Like <laughs> trying to think through my like in my mind immediately, like yes. kind of went through the structure yes. of the film as I knew it, which we can talk about her structures is kind of wild. Uh, but uh, 
yeah, it was something like in my head. I couldn't put together how it was two hours, but it's yeah. it's there. It's definitely there. I yeah, it was very much like, whoa, this thing is very. So so here's here's my term. I'm starting to call Nancy Myers movies that I never thought because I don't know if they really exist in this way. I'm a call Nancy Myers movies are epic rom-coms. Okay. <laughs> they, they're epic rom-coms. I mean, there's a lot even, of things happening. Even I was thinking of it watching parent trap this time. Like, no, it I is. Don't, I don't even know that that's three act structure. Cause it's, cause it's pretty, the, the acts are pretty evenly divided between loca- yeah. location. So you've got camp, California, London, yeah. Santa Barbara camping trip. And then, and then the finale, but like, Yeah. It's, yeah, it's she always wild. has kind of that that coda at the end. She has a lot of I don't say multiple endings, but there's always this like tied up with a bow mm-hmm. type thing in most films. It's complicated, not as much, but still kind of there. Um, so here here's what I'm saying with the epic rom com because I'm, I'm having some tropes here. So easy one, a long runtime. I feel like most rom coms are in that 90 minute to 100 minute range even 80 minutes even 80 minutes and this is the shortest movie she made was the intern at two hours and one minute how long is parent trap parent trap is like two hours and eight wow for a kid for like, <laughs> like disney signed for off a on kid's that for a movie. kid's it's movie ins- that's insane. it's insane um so so there's a long run time and i'm not trying to put anyone off with with myers films by the way because I'm, I'm not saying it's fully a, a bad thing um they're long run times Characters are either traveling long distances or we're jumping to and from major locations in the story. Almost all of them, except what women want has multiple cities. These characters either live in or visit. Hmm. I think each film has multiple storylines that weave within one another. Yeah. Even the kind of the intern still has these other like side plot lines that are going on in the background. And I think the locations are usually extravagant in terms of either scale or design. Yeah. It's almost like a little, I don't want to say fantasy because I don't want to knock that in that way, but it is very much a specific world that all of these, that these films live in. And that's why it's like, it feels like how an epic movie might be, but it is a rom-com version of that epic movie. So yeah. And so a lot of our films too are like, they're influenced by screwball comedies, which we've talked about many times in the show. Like when looking at, say, like, like Preston Sturgis and Howard Hawks, and she mentions some of these by name in movies. Like in The Holiday, she mentions Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck would be perfect for a Nancy Myers film. I think one that's kind of, kind of set her apart from certain people is a lot of her later stories are about older characters, which is very different at that point in time. I think before there became like a surge of like, old people doing like young people things. Does that make sense mm-hmm. of like the, uh, that became kind of a trend. And the big thing that I, she doesn't get enough credit for is that she's had three films that have made over a hundred million dollars in the U S alone, three of her six films and five of her six films have made over a hundred million dollars worldwide at the box office. So like incredibly successful in terms of, uh, financial side of it. So, do you want to hear about Nancy Myers early beginnings, Thomas? Yeah. Because some of this is going to explain a lot. <laughs> she grew up okay. in a beautiful kitchen. OK, it's not going to be that, but there's going to be something close to that, by the way. <laughs> Nancy Jan Myers was born on December 8th, 1949 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Irving and Patricia Myers. Also, she went by Patty. 
Uh, Nancy grew up in an area known as uh, Drexel Hill, and she was the youngest of two daughters. Her father, Irving, was an executive at a company that manufactured voter voting machines. Uh, her mother worked as an interior designer. Oh, there it is. Yeah, and she also volunteered for the Head Start program, a nonprofit that helps low-income families. And she also volunteered at the Home for the Blind. In an interview with New York Times in 2009, Nancy's sister Sally says that her mother was the go-to mom, the leader of the Girl Scouts, the Brownies, the carpooler. Sally said that her that uh, her other her mother would pick up furniture from flea markets and antique shows and take them home and strip them and refinish them and make them kind of anew. When it comes to growing up in Drexel Hill, the Myers were a Jewish family in a mostly Catholic neighborhood. Nancy said there were 48 kids on my block. Two families had 12 kids each. She said that her parents loved being surrounded by family and kids and friends, and they put in a swing pool at the family home, making their house a gathering spot for the neighborhood. She also said they had a basketball hoop over their garage. She later take that visual and put it into knowingly put it into her script for the Father of the Bride series years later. At the age of 12, she began developing a passion for writing after reading the autobiography of Moses Hart called Act One. Hart's most famous play uh, is probably You Can't Take It With You, which he wrote with George Kaufman and won the Pulitzer Prize with. Um, he also would later write the script for the 1954 film A Star is Born. She also said her interest in screenwriting came when she saw The Graduate in the 1960s. Also, fun fact, she's from Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Nancy attended... Uh, Lower Marion High School in Pennsylvania, which would later be, be the alma mater for Kobe Bryant. Wow. Two big, na two big names out of Lower <laughs> Marion High School. Or Marion. Uh, in the 1970s, Nancy graduated from Amer American University in Washington, D.C. with a degree in journalism. And after graduating, she would move to Philadelphia and work in public television for a year. When she was 22, she decided to move to Los Angeles and she would live with her sister Sally in Coldwater Canyon. When moving to L.A., she said that she had no connections to show business. I walked in the lobby of CBS with my pathetic little resume and was sent up to see a game show producing company. She said she arrived in L.A. on Tuesday and had a job on Friday working as a production assistant on The Price is Right. Her job was to help design prize packages. <laughs> she basically what she talked about was how. She wanted to broaden the prize selection for female contestants. She said, no woman wants a washing machine. And I try to do more adventurous things than washers and dryers and microwaves. So it's very much about like picking the right things and finding out what, no pun intended, what women want uh, on that um, on that show. So after working two years of The Price is Right, she quit her job to focus more on writing. However, to support herself... She started a small cheesecake business because she said that all the women in her family were good bakers. Apparently, it was very successful. She was like making it out of like friends' ovens and like just making them all herself. It became the Cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> it could have been because when one of her wealthy customers offered to expand the business, she declined because she really wanted to be a writer instead. <laughs> so, so there's a world because it's complicated. It's about Meryl Streep, who's a baker. I feel like there's a world where like, Nancy Myers becomes that character. Mm -hmm. um, she was able to get a script, however, to Alan Burns, the creator of the Mary Tyler Moore show. He read it and invited her to sit in for a week to watch the process of putting the show together. She said nothing happened in terms of like getting a job there, but that experience inspired her to keep going. 
Later on, she was hired as a story editor uh, for producer Ray Stark. Uh, Not long after, she was fired because she she protested to Stark uh, when she found out he had two writers working on the same project without their knowledge. In the late 1970s, she met Charles Shire, who was working as a story editor at the film division of Motown. Um, they would become close friends and eventually begin a romantic relationship. And Shire would become Meyer's closest collaborator during the first half of her career. Uh, they would later marry one another in 1980. Around the same time, Myers and Shire were working with another writer, Harvey Miller. And they were writing a film that would eventually become Private Benjamin, a comedy starring Goldie Hawn. And in this movie, it's about a young kind of high society woman who joins the U.S. Army after her fiance dies at the altar on their wedding day. It's comedy. Um, (laughs) Myers said that everybody turned the movie down. Everybody. More than once. Women didn't usually have the lead in comedies. Goldie Hawn would later say the film was a big deal because women at the time weren't usually put in lead roles without a strong male counterpart. In Private Benjamin, Hawn was at the forefront. Uh, Myers, Shire, Miller, and Han would all eventually serve as the producers of the film. And it would become a massive hit, becoming the second highest grossing film of the year uh, in 1980. The number one movie that year, Empire Strikes Back. The film would also garner three Oscar nominations, including one for Best Original Screenplay. So right out of the gate, first screenplay, mm-hmm. Oscar nom. Yeah. It's very similar to Nora Ephron. Because Efron did Silkwood as her first screenplay and yeah, gets nominated for best best screenplay. So Myers would continue writing for the rest of the decade as Charles Shire would begin directing some of the scripts they wrote together or she wrote. Uh, the most important film in the 1980s for Myers in terms of kind of her style of storytelling would be the 1987 film Baby Boom about a driven New York career woman who discovers that a long lost cousin has died and she has inherited the cousin's 14 month old baby. Uh, the film's important because it would be the beginning of her collaboration with Diane Keaton, who had kind of become Meyer's most consistent avatar over the next three decades, basically. Um, the film would be a modest, modest success and would actually spur a television series that ran for one season that Myers and Shire wrote a good bit of. But the biggest hit for Myers and Shire, uh, however, would come in 1991 with their remake of the 1950 film, Fire the Bride. Uh, Shire would direct the film and co-write the script with Myers. Uh, the film would reunite the duo with Diane Keaton and would also be the first collaboration between Myers and Steve Martin. The film would would eventually gross about $90 million at the box office and be the first film that complained about why there are always more hot dog buns in the package than the hot dog package. Do you have to note also another movie I have seen a dozen times and have never watched beginning to end? That was a... Um, <laughs> That was actually not a TBS. That was a, a WGN uh, stable. Mm, that makes sense. That makes a little sense because Steve, I mean, it's not planes, trains, and automobiles, but because it's Chicago, because WGN's Chicago station, yep, yep. the John, he- the weird kind of John Hughes connection with Steve Martin. Um, yeah, Steve Martin's freak out in in the grocery store about the hot dog, hot dog buns. I think is perfection i was just when i was a kid i was obsessed with martin short in in the, both of the, fa- <laughs> the father of the bride movies yeah as the as a play wedding planner <laughs> so yeah after the success of the, fi- the films of father of the bride myers really wanted to try her hand at directing in 1996 scott rudin who was 
probably Mac nowadays, understandably. And Sherry Lansing, the head of Paramount Pictures, and someone we talked about last week yep. uh, during our Karen Kusama episode, offered Myers a chance to direct the first Wives Club, oh. uh, which would have reunited her with Diane Keaton and Goldie Hawn, but Myers declined. I'm not entirely sure why, but she declined it. She said, you you don't own That's me. <laughs> That's a First Wives Club joke, if you guys haven't seen that one yet. Another, another TBS my, staple. Another TBS staple that my parents both love. I swear to you, when I was back home for like the Christmas time, when I was stuck in, stuck there for three months, uh, I swear to you that movie was on at least seven times while I was home. <laughs> but yeah, so she declined it, but that would eventually set up her directorial debut and that would be the 1998 film film remake of the parent trap so thomas for those who don't know can you tell them what the parent trap is about parent trap is apps is actually bonkers when you when you stop to think about it um i think many of her films are by the way i want to state that now i think many of her films can be kind of just that when i was a kid i completely accepted that this was something that could happen um (laughs) It's about a man and a woman who were who were married in a brief fling on a cruise ship and uh, had twins, had babies, had a pair of twins, but decided to split up and that they were going in order to never have to see each other again. They were instead of splitting custody, they were going to split the twins. Yeah. Insane. Insane the, idea. <laughs> the father was going to uh, raise his daughter in California on his vineyard. And the mother was going to raise her daughter in London, where she is a wedding dress designer. Um, But the two girls, both played by Lindsay Lohan, end up meeting at summer camp and decide to hatch a plan where they're each going to go. They're going to swap with each other and then bring their parents together and make them fall back in love so they can be a family again. And there's 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 a side story about the the uh, uh, Quaid has new girlfriend who's gonna be the fiance oh yes dennis dennis quaid is the father and natasha richardson is uh the charming mother okay thank you for saying charming because when watch this movie i forgot how amazing natasha richardson is in this film Mm -hmm. like like charming lovely eloquent like i think just like amazing and what i love about her take away diane keaton and baby boom but i feel like she's she's kind of the prototype nancy myers like female lead Mm -hmm. in a way because that here's the thing about parent trap it is a rom-com from the perspective of the kids yeah that's what it is because the core of it is just getting these two parents back together and i could see why myers would be kind of the the hollywood wise would be the interesting the good choice for this is because of Fire the Bride. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about this, I think, with, um, what was it? Oh, with, uh, with Joe's and the Pussycats. With those two directors, how they had done, they had written for, like, uh, Brady Bunch and kind of that meta approach and how they're, like, everyone tried to want them, like, to, to basically do another TV show movie, a, a movie based on a TV show. And I could see Hollywood being like, oh, what's the old IP that we have from the 50s or 60s and who can do that? Oh, who did the fire of the bride thing? Nancy Myers. Hmm. Gotta say, gotta throw this out there. Better than the original. I agree with you completely. I I I enjoy the original. There's some uh-huh. there's some parts, and we watched both of them. Like as a kid, I could sit there and tell you like scene by scene what was different. But um, 
love Maureen O'Hara, but uh, yeah, the remakes remakes better. I think Lohan. I think the big thing is that Lohan is I under I, I think Lohan stuff like her 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 her, her, her more recent things in terms of just public uh, public incidents or public life overshadows some of her uh, her like films that she did mm-hmm. and this to me is is one of the best like child debuts ever honestly yeah, absolutely like it's insane she steals this movie and as a as a kid she i i, I noticed it watching this time which it probably escaped me when i was you know six when this movie came yeah. out but um <laughs> yeah but she like establishes, and I mean this is Myers as well. But she establishes these characters well enough that you mm-hmm. can like, t- even when you know it's she's not just leaning on a British accent to to separate the two of them. Like you can tell the difference between these two girls from her performance and the way that she plays them. Yes, uh, which is pretty incredible. To go off that, it's funny. So I was uh, I was reading up on an interview that Myers did uh, in DGA DGA Quarterly, and she said. Uh, that when they held the first preview of the film, she walked out and she saw Michael Eisner at the candy counter in the, in the lobby. And Michael Eisner, for those who know, was like the head of Disney at the time. And he told her, he goes, you know, you're so lucky because in the original, we had just one kid. You're lucky you found these two girls. <laughs> people, I think some people, without knowing anything about Lohan, it's like they probably just said, oh, it's without the credits or whatever. Assume this is just two, two twins is what it is. And, like she does it incredibly well. And I studied it this time from a from a technical point of view and there's maybe two scenes where the lighting on the like compositing is just a touch off but it is it's pretty incredibly done as far as putting her together with herself in scenes yeah i mean and i think too because it's 98 but also like myers the first time director having to handle this big of a visual effects thing essentially Mm -hmm. um so she said she goes they had to use motion control to do it right she goes, it was complicated and I really didn't know how to do it. We had a prep day. I want to say it again. We had a prep day to go over the process. And by the end of the day, I had a little better understanding, but I approached the movie like it wasn't an effects film. I just tried to make it authentic. They would have to shoot every scene twice and on children's hours. And for produ- people to know about producing, mm-hmm. they couldn't shoot full days low hand, basically. Um, and she gives credit to her her director of photography, Dean Cundy, who had done films like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Jurassic Park. Yeah. So like you have a really good effects driven DP, which really helps with that. And Gundy would uh, Dean Cundy would end up shooting three of her six films. Yeah, it should be it should be stated for people who don't know about children's hours. Uh, they have children have very limited amount of times they can work per day. And so that is why normally you want twins to play one yes. one character <laughs> instead of getting one actor to play twins. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like for example, for the again, those don't know, like Full House, why why the Olsen twins were so good is that you could use one twin for part of the day and the other twin for the other part of the yeah. day, and the Sprouse twins for Big Daddy and Friends and all their stuff when they were little. And the younger you are, the less hours you can work. So, like if you're like 16, 17, you can push and like get closer to a full day. But when you're like 10 or 11, like how many hours do you think she's going to be able to work a day? Six, six with, with schooling built into that. You have to give them schooling breaks. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's a lot. And, and, and for a typical and for a typical shoot day, 
it's at least 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So you're going to shoot half a day with her and that's it. Um, But yeah, Lohan would wear an earpiece during her scenes. So they would play back the other sister's dialogue for her, like her version of it. Um, But she did have a stand in quick side note. She did have a stand in by the name of Aaron Mackey. And Mackey would later become famous for playing Glinda in Wicked on Broadway and for several of the national tours. Oh, wow. Uh, And Myers would later cast her as one of the school moms in The Intern. It's one of the ones that De Niro talks to at the party, which Mm -hmm. is the redheaded one. Uh, But she was Lohan stand in. I mean, do you want to bring up the structure here? Or or we set it for because her structure is odd. It's like. She has she throws in that camping trip at the end of the movie. But is it the end of the movie? Like, yeah, it's like, like, it's like, like what is what is the climax of this movie? Uh, exactly. You know, is it is it there's a there's a, it's almost like there's a climax. She builds a climax. She she builds her movies out in sequences and she puts a climax in each of her sequences, which I mean, people do. But yeah. but she doesn't have like a, a climax you can really point to in most of her movies as far as i can think of uh maybe what women want but i don't know the climax in that one is kind of like misguided it's not what you would expect it to be um but yeah this one you would think and in this granted this is kind of how the original one works as well but you would think like reuniting the family for the first time and being like the kids are back together would be the climax and the first one the original doesn't do that that way either but um, that's definitely your, your solid that's your solid midpoint yeah you, you get back the together family, there's this midpoint. emotional high and then they're like all right now we're going on this camping trip now we have to get rid of the the potential stepmom <laughs> that's see that's the odd part is that the whole idea is bringing the parents back together and the typical choice would be to have that camping trip but to have Natasha Richardson on that camping trip with them. Mm-hmm. But instead it's like, no, Liz is just going to stay at, stay at the, the vineyard uh, with chess and just like hang out and have girl talk, drink some wine or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Like we don't know. She is, we never Chessie's see it. the best. Chessie's the best. Um, but we never see it. Cause again, we're staying with the perspective of the kids for the most part. Uh, so then, so you have this like separate sequence of just like getting rid of the stepmom essentially uh and that's it and then but then it's like so then that's over and then you think oh great now they're gonna get back together no they don't spoiler alert for parent trap um but it's like no they end up like not being back so it's like a lot of just like a lot of ups and downs i'm not saying it's Mm -hmm. bad but a lot of different like twists at the end and i do think she does this a lot where she adds these other plot lines that make that really extend the movie out, which is why you get a lot of its length. But yeah, so with this movie, it establishes a lot of things for her. Her music choices, for one, because she has, I think she has great music choices throughout most of her movies in terms of, I guess, source music with pop songs or whatever. And usually kind of an old school vibe to them with like Nat King Cole and uh, and the parent trap. It also establishes that usually the lead female is going to get drunk or high or something. Uh, that happens a lot in her movies, by the way. I, I, what what would be okay? So we're talking about this movie in sequences. What's your favorite sequence of this film? Probably the the hotel, the hotel in Santa Barbara. That's mine as well. It's a good comedy of errors. Yeah, Natasha Richardson being drunk, and then Dennis Quaid kind of being like so shell shocked. Uh, yeah. To like see the the falling in the pool sequence, 
and everyone being so happy to like see that I, I just love how happy everyone gets to like see because as <laughs> as if you treat this like it is something that could actually happen in the real world like i just love that like everyone is just like oh my god i never thought like, you know like the the butler and the grandfather and chessie are just like oh my gosh i never thought i would meet you like yeah. you were a baby i held you and then I never thought I would see you again. Like ch- the scene when Chassie figures out who she is, but then she's like trying oh, to play it off the tennis quake. Yeah. It's I'm going to so make you fun. everything. I'm, I'm going to make you everything. everything in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. No, it's, it's so good. Like I think, I think the cast in this is really, is really great. So the film would come out in July of 98 and will receive great praise specifically for Lohan's performance. It would eventually gross. 92 million dollars the box office against a 15 million dollar budget funny enough it is probably meyer's most recognizable and beloved film but it is her least successful film as a director in terms of box office yeah but yeah tell me tell me vhs sales yeah i don't know about that it's probably (laughs) a lot so yeah the film would also serve as the final collaboration between myers and her husband charles shire uh, he served as one of the film's producers, and they would eventually divorce in 1999. So after the su- success of The Parent Trap, Nancy Myers was hired to rewrite, un- do an uncredited rewrite, and direct a film titled Head Games, starring Tim Allen at Touchstone Pictures. Hmm. The film would later become, or later, would later switch to Paramount, gain a new title and a new star, and that film become What Women Want, starring Mel Gibson. Ooh. Very different movie. Yeah. Ooh, this movie's I know I know Mel Gibson is kind of creepy in real life, but this movie is infinitely creepier if it's Tim Allen. It's Tim Allen, yes. Yeah. And Gibson at this point, one of Hollywood's biggest leading men in, in at the turn of the millennium, I guess you could say. So yeah, so Myers not credited as a writer in this movie, but she practically rewrote the entire film. Uh and so the film's about Nick Marshall, a Chicago, I think she's there in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago advertiser. Mm-hmm who was infamous for being a womanizer and a misogynist and, and all of that. Uh, Darcy, a, a advertiser from a, another firm, a competing firm played by Helen Hunt is hired at his job for the position he is gunning for. Uh, he becomes upset thinking that like she's being hired because she is a woman. One night when testing out the new female centric products that Dar- that Darcy wants the company to sell, Nick accidentally electrocutes himself and develops the fantastical ability to hear women's thoughts. So what are your thoughts on what women want? Yeah, I mean, maybe some of it hasn't aged as well. Yeah. But uh, overall, it's very charming. I think Gibson's Gibson's great in it. He 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 and I, I love Helen Hunt. She's got they've got great chemistry in this one. It's got maybe a few too many threads. They could yep. get it back down below two hours. Two hours, yeah. But um, yeah, it's got some. It's got some some really nice moments to it. It's got a, It's got a, Its heart is in the right place. You know, I, it, <laughs> it, it might not be the most up to date film, yeah, uh, to watch these days. But it's not. It's not trying. You know, it's not going out there trying to offend anyone. It's it's yeah, the yeah. message it's going for is is valiant. No, I, I agree because this is kind of a. Uh a theme in her movies that you're going to see repeated in like something's got to give of like kind of this womanizing character who kind of learns that like learns the error of his ways. Mm-hmm. I think it's her most non Nancy Myers movie that she directed. It, 
it's like there's there's elements of it. I think Darcy is very much a Nancy Myers creation mm-hmm. uh, of, of this like kind of career centric woman who kind of tells you how she thinks and is kind of misunderstood, specifically in a man's world. That's very much something that happens in a lot of her films. Um, but yeah, there's character tropes that are outdated in this movie. I think Marissa Tomei, who I love, her character is so weird. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of being like, it's like she's kind of a she's like she, Marissa Tomei like works as like works the coffee shop, uh, and like the bait in, in the first floor of Mel Gibson's building, and they're always flirting back and forth, and then they have they have sex at one point, and it's like oh yeah I'll call you. And then you just have her like stalker, like show up to his apartment and be like, I haven't heard from you. Where have you been this entire time? And like, it just, it's such a hard left, like for that, like what the movie's trying to do. That makes sense. Yeah. And he doesn't really seem to learn anything from that encounter. Um, That is one I would cut. Yeah. When I said there are some lines, storylines that could be cut. Also love Bette Midler. Don't really know why she's in this. Well, you got to have like, well, the thing is, she never comes back into it. Yeah. If she came back into it, it might make sense. I like I actually like that scene, but as a whole doesn't need to be there. I agree with you. Just focus on. And, and, and you know, there's the thing is, there's I, I, I do kind of like that. There's he learns how to be a better person in three different ways. You know how to be a better lover with Helen Hunt, how to be a more considerate, you know, significant other how to be a better father and then i guess how to be a better just human being co-worker whatever with judy greer's storyline greer's character yeah but that's a lot to tackle in one movie it is not many people other than her would try to tackle that many things in one rom-com so then you ask why do i need marissa tomei in this movie after that that's literally if you i mean if you're if you're really putting it down i guess he learns to be better in bed from her but like that's not (laughs) it doesn't really fit in with with like well any and it's funny, now when you say this, I, I would be really interested in seeing just for fun. I might do this because I, I have because I Tomei's not in any other scenes to any other people besides Gibson. Like, I really know I want to see what happens when you take that out of the movie. Mm-hmm. What is the pace of it? Yeah, because I, I yeah. And I don't I, I don't I don't like how it wraps up um, because he it, she, it's very problematic even nowadays. She even, confronts even him about feels... not calling her back, and basically he lies and says, "I'm gay," and yeah. she says, "Okay, have a good life." But like that—that's and it feels weird because it's already at a point where he's kind of learned not to lie. As yeah, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. We could we could lift that one. I wonder if TBS. I wonder if TBS lifts. If I were cutting for no, TBS, I, I would that. just lift that whole storyline because you have to cut the yeah. sex scene. Well, well, you don't see anything in the sex scene, so you wouldn't have to cut that. But yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to show that on, on TBS primetime. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's a little much. I don't think TBS. It's not it's not the Christian network. OK, like they'll they'll show that. OK, uh, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, I want to say this too. Mel Gibson dancing to Sinatra in this movie totally surprised me. <laughs> I mean, he's not a professional dancer, but I was surprised he never tried to do a musical because he dances fairly well yeah for what you think mel gibson would do as a dancer <laughs> i don't know if he can sing but like dancing why like he has kind of this like there's like a weird fossey element to him in that moment when he's like dancing with the or not maybe gene kelly but like the dancing with the like the the uh the lamppost or the the lamp yeah. uh 
or whatever around the around the, the apartment. Um, also, too, one thing I would cut that I completely forgot exists is the cold open of this movie. Yeah. Where it shows that he was like raised by like a guy who earns like a burlesque call. Yeah. One of one of it many opening odd. opening voiceovers uh, in her movies watching it this time. And this is something I've learned through the podcast, but with the dancing and the womanizing and the growing up in a dance hall. I was wondering if there was a little bit of Bob Fosse yeah. in this character. Yeah, I read Fosse, too, because mm-hmm. the opening burlesque stuff feels like Bob Fosse. Feels like all that jazz. Yeah. Also, shout out young Mel Gibson, Logan Lerman popping up as young Mel Gibson in this movie. Oh, is that him? I thought he looked familiar. That's Logan Lerman. Yeah, Logan Lerman. She OK, I'll say this, too, with Nancy Myers, too. She really knows how to cast for a young talent. So you got Judy Greer in this movie. You got Sarah Paulson in this movie as his assistant, basically. Mm-hmm. So, and then you're going to see it, Logan Lerman as well, but you'll see it later on in like Catherine Hahn and The Holiday. Um, she really knows how to cast. Like, she feels she doesn't have to fill out the cast. If that makes sense. Yeah. Fun fact about that scene with Bette Midler: the first, allegedly, it's the first time eBay was ever mentioned on screen because <laughs> she's looking at a lamp on eBay. Yep. But yeah, so I, I think I agree with you. I think Gibson is charismatic in this role. What I also you also see in this movie specifically is how she uses costume design for her characters. So Gibson is wearing black throughout most of the movie, right? Usually dark clothes of some kind. Helen Hunt is usually wearing white or like a light pink as Gibson changes his costume changes. Hmm. So by the time he's doing that Nike pitch or whatever, him and Hunt are wearing the exact same color clothes, basically. Hmm. And then at the end, in the finale, it's like, it's a blue and like kind of almost like one of the jackets that Dennis Quaid wears in Parent Trap, kind of like light tannish jacket. So like, it changes throughout. And if, then if you look at something he's got to give later on, similar thing is that she puts Jack and Hilson in mostly dark colors and Diane Keaton mostly light colors. And she does that a lot in majority of her films, of how she controls that design in terms of the costume. So the film was released on December 15th in 2000. It's the first of many December releases for Nancy Myers, by the way. Uh, it was met with mixed reception from critics. However, the film would eventually gross $182 million in the U.S. and $374 million worldwide, against a $70 million budget. It would become the fourth highest grossing film of 2000. And to my knowledge, it is still the ninth highest grossing film in the U.S. directed by a woman to this day. So after she makes What One Want, uh, Myers did a little bit of a pivot and decided to tell a love story that focuses on older characters. Mm. And that film would eventually become Something's Gotta Give. And so, Thomas, what is Something's Gotta Give about? Uh, so Something's Gotta Give is about an older bachelor, played by Jack Nicholson, who tells us in his opening narration how much he loves younger women because they don't expect they're they're just there for fun and they don't expect much out of him. And he is someone who has become renowned in New York City for only dating younger women. Um, and so we're introduced to him on his way to his current girlfriend's house played by Amanda Pete and at the house they are surprised by Amanda Pete's mother played by Diane Keaton who is unexpectedly at the beach house for the weekend 
and they do not get along. They butt heads, but eventually uh, Jack Nicholson has a heart attack and is required by his doctor, played by Keanu Reeves, to stay is not allowed to travel back to the city and is required to stay at the beach house where Amanda Pete leaves him alone with Diane Keaton and they eventually fall in love. So I'll say this, this might tip my hand a little bit if we do rankings. I, I think this might be her best film. Mm. I don't know how you feel. I'm still, I'm still on the fence about it. It's the one I like. It's one of the ones I like the most. I think Nicholson and Keaton have amazing chemistry together. I think you got you got Keanu Reeves like peak in terms of just like like movie star looks, if that makes sense. Keanu Reeves here. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Like (laughs) extremely charming, extremely charming, like so different than like looking at like the Matrix that just come out recently. Like, I think, yeah, even we didn't mention Francis McDormand as as Diane Keaton's sister in this movie. Yeah. um, Who's there? Um, no, I really like this movie. A lot. I like the world that she has in this movie. Uh, again, in terms of visual structure, the DP was Michael Ballhaus, who was, who was Scorsese's DP. And you can see it specifically in the scenes of uh, Diane Keaton's crying montage, which I think is amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the camera start. It's like Goodfellas. Like the camera is just like circling her as she's like typing out her play, just crying. I don't know how to explain it except go watch it. Like in terms of just like if you're watching it in the movie, because the like the rest of the movie is not like that at all in terms of visuals. And mm. all of a sudden she just goes crazy in terms of how she's moving the camera in that moment. Um, I think it's amazing. But yeah, I think it's a sweet movie. I think it's a charming movie. I think she finally kind of masters her design in this movie, her aesthetics, if that makes sense, mm. is this movie. And then kind of continues to, to, to play off of that for the rest, the next few films. I think it's really in this film where she really nails down the whole kind of white, kind of light, soft look um, that would be there for the rest of the film. She does. Yeah. Kind of beach house, beach house, beach vibes. house vibes. Yeah. Um, and I think this, this is where you start to get kind of like the Nancy Myers like kitchen or house is in this movie. Uh, you've had a little bit like Father of the Bride and stuff she's written and, and Parent Trap has some great houses and apartments. But I feel like here is where like we're in that Nancy Myers cinematic universe in terms of houses and kitchens <laughs> is in something's got to give. And it just she works off that for the rest of the rest of the, the next like few films. Do you have any favorite scenes you like in this movie? I I, I really like all this Keanu Reeves stuff. So do I. <laughs> I didn't know he was a walking plot device. Apparently, according to Ebert, I, 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 I disagree. Great, I think they've got great chemistry in this. Oh man, when 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 Keanu Reeves is like when they're when, when he's giving everyone like a coffee or whatever at the hospital, mm-hmm. and like Amanda Pete and Francis McDormand are just like drooling over Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Like I mean, like his entrance when you first see him, like I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, and I like um I like the stuff the kind of weird all is lost segment when um he Jack Nicholson gets back to it kind of switches back to his point of view. We open with his point of view. Yeah. And then we we get a lot of Diane Keaton through the middle of the film and then we go back to him. Um 
but I kind of like all that stuff when he keeps going back to the hospital yes. for more heart attacks and it's just basically he has a broken heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, I think all that stuff is like um, is some of the strengths of that film that I think sometimes you, you, for, you, you always remember like the beach house stuff and like him seeing her naked or, or shim, uh, her, her walking on him at the refrigerator. But like, yeah, the stuff in New York when it's like, him going to the hospital when he shows up at the play when he finds that she's writing about him mm-hmm. and he's like i'm trying to decide if he lives or dies what are you leaning towards <laughs> like, he's just he's just like what are you talking about she goes i'm leaning towards death and he's like oh okay <laughs> but yeah so this film 20th century fox was supposed to do it but they turned it down because they didn't think people would go see a movie with old people in the lead i remember I don't know how, what, what year was this? 2003. I remember like the hype for this. And maybe it was because I watched Oprah when I got home from school every day. <laughs> but I specifically remember seeing like multiple interviews with Diane Keaton specifically about her having a nude scene. in this. I, re- I actually remember that too. I actually remember that too. That, that was a big deal of like, it's kind of like showing a older person love story and 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 just like the because here's the thing about some of nancy meyer's movies that she does that i think is interesting uh for the type of the demographic she's going for some stuff reads like a sex comedy for adults Mm -hmm. like it's it's the kind of sex scene between nicholson and diane keaton um or even like the intern there's there's a there's a there's a visual gag in the intern that's a very like just a sex joke yeah uh that you're just like really this movie but yeah so so 20th century fox wouldn't do it because of that it was released internationally by warner brothers and then it was released domestically by sony i probably because they were afraid it wasn't gonna do well they want to kind of like cut their losses like half half of the the 80 million dollars is done by sony half so my warner brothers i bet um mm-hmm. but it was released december 12 2003 Gained a positive reception, many, many praising the performances of Keaton and Nicholson, and the film would eventually gross $266 million worldwide. Keaton would receive her fourth Oscar nomination of her career for her portrayal of Erica Berry, the playwright in this movie. Really? I didn't remember that. Yes. Yes. So like a very successful film. Like it's and sometimes kind of you forget how successful it was. Mm-hmm. And that brings me into like a side thing I want to bring up here. Um, to kind of really hammer home this idea of like Myers as a as a meticulous director. So she's three movies in to her career at this point as director. And we've said before that people tend to write her off because her films fall into the rom-com chick flick genre, as people would say. Some would say they're fluff. Some would say they're unrealistic. I think there was a good critic for The Guardian said how like people claim her movies as unrealistic but then like they talk about how realistic the Martian is or like things like, like these movies, that, <laughs> like like these movies are like fantasy. Oh, look how realistic it is. Like, yeah, but this isn't realistic. Um, talking about relationships and um, aging and death and heartbreak. That's not realistic. It's just the endings are too t- uh, tied up like a bow. Um, but I really want to bring in like kind of what some of her collaborators think of her and how they kind of say she is on set. Because after three massively successful films here, she's becoming one of the hottest directors in Hollywood uh, and was attracting a lot of talent uh, with her. Um, So according to Myers, it typically takes her two full years to make a film. 
She spends one full year writing it, six months shooting it, at least, and then another six months for editing it. In 2009, New York Times did an in-depth article on Myers with the upcoming release of It's Complicated called Can Anybody Make a Movie for Women? Uh, and in this article, they interview many of the stars that she's worked with uh, and many of them have a lot to say about Nancy Myers. She is known in the industry for her crazy attention to detail. Steve Martin says that she obsessed for two days over my makeup in a scene because she thought it looked too light. Jack Nicholson called her an indomitable force, just constantly focused. Not, nothing's really ch like changing her mind. Uh, after working with her on It's Complicated, Alec Baldwin compared her meticulous and time-consuming approach with Scorsese, with Martin Scorsese, saying, everything that's in the frame is of concern. What's the book on the tail behind you? Move those flowers. I don't like those sheets. Even the 2017 film Home Again that she produced and her daughter directed, star Reese Witherspoon said that one time Nancy yelled, cut, went over to talk to her daughter who was directing, and then Nancy came back over to the set and changed the arrangement of the flowers in the background. <laughs> Myers is also known for a lot of takes. Like, it sounds almost like Fincher, not Fincher-level takes, but a lot of them. Steve Martin said, there are a lot of takes, but I went into the movie determined not to let it affect me. Uh, and when talking about Myers' tendency for a lot of takes, Diane Keaton said, yes, she does a lot of takes. <laughs> I say good. She goes, yes, she has a lot of takes. I say good. Gives you more options. Um, Myers said that she doesn't shoot movies quickly because she gets a lot of coverage and a lot of angles. So we have a lot. Of, we have all the all the pieces for the editing. Uh, I do a lot of takes, but it's because I'm looking for something. An agent friend of hers, John Burnham, pointing to the gender bias that she deals with as a director, said, if Mike Nichols said do another take, there would never be an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Myers is even meticulous about her writing. When asked in DGA Quarterly around the same time about how much improvisation is on her set, she stated, I like to stick with what I've written. I trust myself more when I was home alone writing and spent a lot of concentrated time on it than I trust myself on set with changes or suggestions from other people who are just visiting for the day. Most famously, she is known for her immaculate kitchens and homes and her production design. Uh, for her past few films, she actually uses her own personal interior designer to work with a set designer for her films. Uh, it sounds like almost all these interiors are built in a soundstage. For the next film coming up, the, the holiday, the interior of Amanda's house cost over a million dollars to build on a soundstage. Oh, my goodness. And the interior of like the 1920 Santa Barbara home, and it's complicated, was built on a soundstage in New York City. So just a lot of effort goes into building just like the homes or the sets of her films. As I said, the holiday has like two big ones with the one in L.A. and the one in England. So, Thomas, what is The Holiday about? The Holiday is a Christmas movie about two women, uh, one in Los Angeles, one in uh, England, who uh, are both kind of unlucky in love. One has just broken up with her long-term boyfriend after she caught him cheating on her. One is hopelessly in love with her co-worker who has just announced he's engaged to someone else. And so they decide for Christmas, they're just going to go on this website where you can swap houses with someone pre Airbnb. And uh, and that what they both need is to get away. And uh, what they come to find, Kate Winslet, the British woman, goes to Los Angeles. Uh, Cameron Diaz, the American woman, goes to England. 
they both end up finding love where they least expected it. Uh, you know, kind of going on this like no boys trip. I'm going to focus on myself. They end up finding the men that they deserve in uh, Jack Black and, and Jude Law. Uh, two, two nice boys, despite what you might think of Jude Law in the beginning when you're first introduced to him. It is lovely. It is charming. Uh, there is a great amount of talk about film scores, which I very much enjoy because Jack Black's character is a film composer. Um, there's a very adorable um, Eli Wallach, is Eli Wallach here? playing basically, basically playing himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also some adorable uh, little girls. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. This movie, as I said earlier, is that Nancy Myers's films are epic rom-coms. And this is probably her most epic of rom-coms with the two locations, with the many storylines in it. Because you have the, as you said, the Cameron Diaz and Jude Law storyline. You have the Kate Winslet and Jack Black storyline. We have Kate Winslet and her her ex-boyfriend storyline. You have Kate Winslet and Eli Wallach. Um, So much is going on in this movie. And the runtime goes with that. With it's it's Nancy Myers's longest film, and it's doesn't feel like it's long. That makes I mean it's long, but like it it has it doesn't feel like two hours and twenty minutes, which is what it is. Like it's mm-hmm. a long rom com, but I think it's as I said, something's got to give. Kind of really, she finds the style of like her type of films here, but I think the holiday is kind of the one where like. It's her most typical rom-com, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's the young people falling in love. Yes. Um, She hasn't really done that in the ones before or after, or younger people falling in love. A lot of the stuff she loves is in it. It's the, the so many references to old Hollywood, uh, Barbara Stanwyck or Casablanca or Cary Grant, even the graduate, uh, the, the, the Dustin Hoffman cameo is a callback, you can say it's a callback to the movie that inspired her to be a screenwriter with The Graduate. Like there's so much in there of just like uh, the stuff she loves is in this movie, which is like that in many of her films. What's a favorite scene of yours in this movie? I love the the stuff they do with Cameron Diaz. So Cameron Diaz is a trailer editor. I love the stuff they kind of do with her. She's got this movie with James Franco and Lindsay Lohan. She's working on. She's deception. Got, she's got her two assistants, John Krasinski and Catherine Hahn. Then they'll they'll cut in throughout the movie. They'll kind of cut in her inner monologue instead of these like standard uh, voiceovers <laughs> like we're used to with Nancy Myers films. She's got like the movie trailer guy in her head and he'll uh, he'll be narrating like movie trailers based off of what's going on in her life. Yeah. Favorite scene. I mean, this is one of those if the movie's on like I'm, I'm sitting until I see the blockbuster scene with Jack Black yep. and I'm sitting yep. until the reveal of, of Jude Law, which I think is so well, if I had to pick like my favorite so well thing done. in this movie, it's the the way Jude Law's character is is presented to you is is so charming. Nancy does a really great job of just it's that twist of the like, oh, yeah. he's he's a womanizer. He's he's Mel Gibson, what women want. Yeah. Seeing every girl every night because he's getting all these phone calls and he finds out the phone calls are his daughter. A little bit of a logic jump that her that, her, that his his kids already have phones at this point in time, but it's okay. <laughs> but um it that would happen nowadays. I don't know if it would happen in 2007, 2006. But yeah, it's like you think he's a womanizer and it's the oh, no, he's married or he's he might be married with kids 
And then it's, oh, no, he's just divorced. Oh, no, his wife's died. Like, it's just so many different levels yeah. and, and, and terms. he's actually, like, the best guy ever. He's actually the best guy he ever. He just yeah, likes yeah. to go out and, and drink sometimes, which if you yeah. are a single father, you know, good for you. <laughs> go go for it. And, like, you have grandparents that will watch the kids, apparently. Chemistry-wise, I think Long Diaz have great chemistry. Mm. I think Jack Black and Kate Winslet have great chemistry. Like, I love Kate Winslet and almost anything she does. So, like, I'm I, this is, like, one of my easiest, like, movies to put on for Christmas time. And it's a role that I've never really seen Jack Black play again. Mm-mm. Like, it's he's he's a romantic lead in this movie, and that never really happens for him. I don't really count Shallow How. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I agree with you. The blockbuster thing, I think, is for as a guy who worked at the video store, really hits home every time. <laughs> And that's the only time he really does any like Jack Blacking. Jack Black is in this a, movie, yeah. but it it works. It really works. It's that and that and the 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 playing uh, uh, his like kind of his uh, scootily do like his scatting that he does. Mm-hmm. Like those are the two things. They're very Jack Blackisms. What I find funny is like I wonder. I was watching this time. I was like, what's the conversation Jack Black has with Edward Burns in this movie? Because like they're like best friends, and we never see them together. Mm-hmm. And like he's now dating. Hey man, I'm dating this woman that lives in your old house. <laughs> house. <laughs> and that she's now like good friends with like the li- like your ex girlfriend. Uh, like what do you? Here's the thing. Wait, I mean this is a spoiler for the holiday. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but what do you think happens to these these this, these two couples? I think they live happily ever after. <laughs> Brandon, don't try and start me down that path. Okay. Those little girls you. get a new mother and her name is Cameron Diaz. And Jack Buck and Kate Winslet like live in the house next door is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I'll believe you. Is this a big movie you watched on Christmas time? Yeah, this is this is in the rotation. You know, it's funny. There's like there's like the three hallowed Christmas movies in my house, which are Miracle on 34th Street. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful life. life and White Christmas. And those are the ones that we like fight over in our family. Like what we're going to watch Christmas Eve night. But gotcha. then, like, it's funny that the ones that we don't count as, like, hallowed are the ones that we actually watch every year because <laughs> we're, like, so busy fighting over, like, what's going to be Christmas Eve night. And we know it's yeah. one of those three. We don't watch them in the lead up to Christmas Eve, but we'll watch Love Actually. We'll watch The Holiday. We'll watch Just, Just Friends. Friends. Yeah. We'll watch Die Hard. We'll watch Elf, all that kind of stuff. We, I see more than those three that we like really love because we're fighting over that. One. I feel like do you also watch Four Christmases and that was your pitch that one year. We do. We do like Four Christmases yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yes. This is one that it's it has a sneaky, a sneaky following. Mm-hmm. It's the second most popular film. Uh, this is a little bit spoiled on stats. It's the second most popular film on Letterboxd uh, of her films. We're gonna we're gonna have to speed through stats anyway because I told you I wanted this episode to be shorter than a than a Nancy Myers movie. It's gonna be short, don't worry. <laughs> so this movie comes out December. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, released on December eighth, two thousand six. It was made for eighty five million dollars. However, received a mixed reception from critics upon release. Many praised the film for its performances and its aesthetics, but they deemed the plot predictable. The film, however, would do better with audiences. Only grossing $65 million in the U.S., but grossed a total of $205 million worldwide. So it's a little surprising how well it played Interesting. internationally, because usually comedies and rom-coms don't do well like outside of the States. wonder if it made a lot of money in England. I, I mean, I don't know. it didn't make $100 million worth, probably. <laughs> you know, they might really love Kate Winslet there. And Jude Law. Or uh, what's, what's it, Rufus, Rufus Sewell? Rufus Sewell, yeah, Rufus Sewell. 
so yeah, as we said, it's kind of it's gaining a following because of the Christmas time feel. Um, and it's kind of always play on cable during Christmas time. To show you the difference between critics and audiences today, the film currently sits at I believe 49% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics and at 80% for audiences. Big difference. Yeah, I would not have known that one was rotten. That's one of those movies we just never bothered looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score. Exactly. After that, that's 2006, her next film, three years later, uh, It's Complicated. And It's Complicated is a kind of a love triangle movie that stars Meryl Streep, Alec Baldwin, and uh, Steve Martin. And so Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin are a couple that have been divorced for 10 years. And after their divorce, they slowly begin to see each other again after like a one night stand type thing at their son's graduation. And so Alec Baldwin, who is married now to a much younger woman and who is trying to do like fertility tests to, to have a baby with her played by Lake Bell. Um, they are having this affair as they're having this affair. Uh, Meryl Streep uh, is remodeling her house and the architect that is remodeling her house, Adam, played by Steve Martin. And so it's kind of this comedy of errors with these kind of three people and this kind of love triangle. Um, Meryl Streep is a baker to go back to Nancy Myers being a, a baker for that made cheesecakes at one point in her life. It's very much going with that kind of uh, theme that she's kind of drawing from real life experience. So I saw this movie in theaters, Thomas, weird story. <laughs> I saw it New Year's Eve night by myself, my senior year of high school. I was a loner, okay? I didn't have anything to do on New Year's <laughs> Eve. And I went to see It's Complicated at Cobb Theaters in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I distinctly remember, because now it makes sense of, of this movie being long, because I, I went in like 10.05 or whatever, um, and I remember fireworks going off literally around us, <laughs> hearing it outside <laughs> as the ending of this movie is happening. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of a Nancy Myers film as a midnight movie, but, uh, but apparently go. it was for me it's at 18 years old. I just revealed a lot about myself here, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this movie is this one's a little bit difficult for me because I love the cast Again, it's a very similar thing. I think the cast is amazing. It's very much in the Nancy Myers world. I love her and Steve Martin together and Alec Baldwin's fun, fun with her. But I, th I really love Steve Martin and pretty much anything. And I think they're great. I, I kind of like they're like they get high at one point in the movie and they're like at a party. And I think Steve Martin High is a fun thing. But also Meryl Streep High is also kind of fun. So, But it, it sometimes feels a little bit like her most like Nancy Myers in a blender mm -hmm. where it's like all of her elements are thrown together. And it feels a little bit I don't know if it's a rehash, but it just feels a, a, too much of the same thing. Yeah, it's still very much enjoyable. It still has that cozy, charming feeling that Nancy Myers films have. But something about it just kind of like it doesn't hit as home for me as some of the other ones that she's done. Yeah, um, but still a good film. What I remember of, of this, my I remember my mom and sister went to see it pretty, pretty soon after it came out. But I remember them coming home and my mom being like, Thomas, you have to look up this guy from this movie. He's never done anything else before but he was great in this and he's going to have a huge career. And I was like, okay, who is it? And she was like, he plays Meryl Streep's son in this. And I like looked it up and it was John Krasinski. I was like, mom, you ever heard of a show called the office on NBC? <laughs> yeah. Krasinski, Krasinski's really good in this movie because that's another funny part is that he's the one that finds out about the affair mm. and he's her son-in-law or about to be her son-in-law because he's basically engaged to her daughter. And he sees like, Alec Baldwin going into the the room of like 
<laughs> there's a funny bit where he where uh uh he sees Alec Baldwin going into the hotel they're staying at into Meryl Streep's room, and that's when he realizes, oh god, they're having an affair. And the next part is that he goes to like check on like to call him up or whatever, and he hears that a a medic has been sent up to the room because someone like has had a heart attack and he's just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, what's going on? And he's like, but he can't tell the rest of his family that he knows about the affair because he doesn't want to ruin their kids like lives because of it. So he's just like sitting in the hotel lobby, like panicking over if Alec Baldwin just died upstairs <laughs> and his kids are going to find out about it. I think he, I think he is amazing in this movie. He's great. But again, he's he's from the holiday and that that two minute scene of the holiday yep. pops back up in this movie. It's complicated is released on December 25th, 2009, uh, Christmas Day, finally. And again, if you're not shocked, Thomas, it received a mixed reception from critics. Uh, <laughs> is Nancy Myers Tony Scott? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> movies that critics do not like or do not love and kind of cr- cr- uh uh hate on but audiences love um the holiday many praise the performances of the leads but criticize the film's predictable plot the film however as many of these do would gross 224 million dollars worldwide against a budget of 85 million making it the third highest grossing film of myers's career so i think she did just fine yeah so that's 2009 but now we have the biggest gap between films for her and the next movie she makes is not till six years later with the intern and thomas what is the intern about Uh, the intern is about robert de niro as a a senior 70 year old widower who takes a senior citizen's internship at a tech company that does uh kind of like boutique online fashion shopping and is is been created and is run by Anne Hathaway who is a young career mom trying to have it all and the two of them forge a uh, unique friendship over their yeah. time working together and I don't think you'd seen this movie before right I, I have not I didn't see, I remember you going to see it but um, I did not I did not go AMC Century City baby I was yeah I was in like the AMC Prime I was in the nice seat and everything how I remember this six years later I have no idea anyway um, yeah I saw us in theaters and I like I really enjoyed it and I still really enjoy it <laughs> I don't know why like it's it's just Again, it's the charm to I love Anne Hathaway. And some people don't, but I love Anne Hathaway. Um, and I think her and De Niro are just really fun together. I, like, I really do. And I think the, they're kind of like the driving scenes they have together are really nice. But my favorite scene in this entire movie, it's the break in scene. Oh, yeah. Again, she just adds all these layers. It's like, OK, here's the plan. I think she even has the Ocean's Eleven theme music playing mm-hmm. when they're doing it. Um, but it's like, okay, the keys under the pot and they go in the back of the backyard and there's like 50 pots back there, like 50 flower pots. They find the key. It's like, okay, she doesn't have an alarm. Don't worry about it. Then the alarm starts going off and then it's like, okay, cool. I don't know if everyone else loves as much as I do, but I really like (laughs) this scene. What were your thoughts on the intern, Thomas? You you can go against what I'm saying. It's fine. It's charming. I I just don't know. I I didn't feel like super emotionally invested in it as much as. Okay, and and uh, maybe that's because I I knew going into this one it wasn't going to be a rom com, but like um, I don't know, maybe I just maybe I want maybe I want a little bit of that. Like I like them becoming friends, but it, I, I don't think that was ever a 
that was ever a will they won't they <laughs> well that's well i mean i i going with the friendship thing i like that we don't have this like there's no weird like does de niro really like hathaway is it about to happen no like, I, I, only... I like that no i i, I wouldn't yeah. want them to do anything like that i like them being friends i don't know i just yeah maybe it's it's that the this kind of subplot with him and renee russo wasn't wasn't executed i don't know i don't know what i was expecting out of it but it, yeah. it just kind of it felt nice i would call this yeah. a nice film i wouldn't go further than that i mean yeah it's i think it's a three and a half star film to me for me like i don't think it's a great film but I, here's the thing about nancy meyer stuff i think outside of something's got to give to me and maybe parent trap i as we've kind of talked about with her sequence stuff i feel like she's always like she's one plot line away from making a really great movie. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It's like, as we talked about with what one want, if you take out one piece of it, it's a, it's a tighter film. Um, I don't know what that piece of it is here in the intern, but I do feel like if you take a few things out, it, it works even, even more. Yeah. I can see that. But I still, I still like it. I think it's, it's one that weirdly, people tend to gravitate towards out of her work. I think because that friendship, I mean, the funny one is Tarantino. Um, is that Tarantino? It was, he named his one of his favorite films, 2015, mm -hmm. like his top 10. Uh, the line that he said, he was interviewed by when, when they were doing hateful late, he was interviewed. Someone, someone asked him about like, he did a Hollywood round table, Hollywood reporter round table, where it's like all like guys. And someone talked about the, like why there wasn't any f female filmmakers on that uh, kind of round table for the Oscars. Um, but this is the quote he said, I'm not saying Tarantino is like the, the person to, <laughs> to uh, uh, kind of carry the torch for female filmmakers, but I think he makes some valid points here. Um, he goes, it does seem to be some degree. There's a boom or bust aspect when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to, when it comes to Hollywood for female directors, there becomes an era when there's a lot working then that settles down and there's a dry period. But frankly, maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just talking shit because the thing is there are female directors. Maybe we're not being the ones that are being asked to be on the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable. One of my favorite movies this, this last year was Nancy Myers' as The Intern. They're not considering that for the Oscars, even though I think Robert De Niro gave one of the best performances this year in that movie. I thought the script was actually one of her best, right up there with It's Complicated. They're not asking her to be part of the discussion. Huh. Again, I'm not. I'm not gonna say he's right up there with it's complicated. Is an interesting Tarantino take. statement. So he's saying that it's complicated. It's also good, but again, I'm not gonna fully go with what he's like saying. It's one of the best of the year, but I do think he brings up the valid point we've been kind of talking about. Is that like she somehow always left out of the conversation of like director or visual styles? Another article I read talking about how like oh, there's a list of like 20 directors that have a unique visual style that you know is them and she's like never on there but mm -hmm. nancy myers has a very it's and i don't know i wonder if it's what if it's the millennial generation or whatever that's kind of like gravitated towards like and maybe because we can't buy houses most of the time the we the houses we fall in love with are like nancy myers houses if that makes <laughs> sense like and that's why we gravitate towards her stuff yeah it, it must be the millennial in us because uh there's a little term called chuggy that many of many of her her houses are, which is a uh, we won't go too deep into it. But chuggy's <laughs> not a chuggy's not a good term. It's what the it's what the Gen Z calls uh, rich rich white people. Like is that, is uh, that Chip and Jojo? Anything Chip and Jojo make is chuggy. 
What is Chip and JoJo? Chip and JoJo, Fixer Upper, HGTV, you know. Okay, no. no. Any of that like farmhouse, farmhouse chic. Yeah. Style. That's yeah, she, true. She's got, she's got a lot of that farmhouse sinks in her, all of her like houses, yeah. if you notice. Yeah. I think it was one of the articles I read talking about how like Generation Z is talking about like main character energy, but jokes on you, Nancy Myers talked about that in the holiday with Eli Wallach saying like, you're not a side character, you're the lead character in your own story. Mm-hmm. Um, so Generation yeah. Z can have that. So Intern doesn't come out in December, comes out September 25th, 2015, and again received a mixed reception from critics. Uh, however, it was also still a success at the box office, grossing $194 million worldwide against a $35 million budget. Wow. Yeah, it's actually shocking that does so, that did so well. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of insane. I didn't remember. I didn't remember it being that hype, but cool. Good for them. Again, it was. I think it's just a sneak. I think her movies just have a sneaky good following. Mm-hmm. And again, like, so in that Guardian thing, they talk about how, like, how a lot of the people who kind of like get, not all the time, but a lot of people who give a lot of our movies negative reviews, calling them unrealistic are usually like guys who are film like male film critics who like kind of critique it as chick flicks. And I know dudes who are like, I won't watch that. That's a chick flick. Um, but like she has a very specific style in all of her films. And I think if we're going to praise certain directors that are problematic uh, and how their visual styles are, I feel like we can praise people who are, who work within a genre. If we're going to praise filmmakers who work within the horror genre, that is a genre yeah. that they work really well in. Yeah. You can praise someone who is in a specific genre, even if it's not a genre you love. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's my take. So anyway, did you have a favorite scene from the intern? Um, I, I like them. I like them going to San, San Francisco together. Um, it really yeah. felt like a nice, you know, I, and I like the I like kind of the sequence when she start when they really started to click, uh, and and you had that kind of like yeah. like all kind of like in one day like earlier in the day her texting Andrew Rannells and being like we need to move Ben and then by like the next day being like why'd you move Ben you told me this yeah I I, th- I think I said think it's a great some really great chemistry with all these people and all of her films um all right okay stats. What are her top three most popular films out of her six movies? Parent Trap. Number one. Yes. Oh, wait, you said it. You said it before. I did you? say I did say one was number two. Yes. And it was What Women Want. <laughs> it was not What Women Want. <laughs> it was The Holiday. It was The Holiday. Number number two. Number three. Uh, Something's Gotta Give? No. Intern. The Intern. Number three. Something's Gotta Give. Number five. Yeah, the, the letterbox crowd's a little too young for that too one. Too young for that one, yeah. Woman Wants, number four. Something's Gotta Give, number five. It's complicated, number six. So the older people, one, uh, <laughs> don't do as well. Uh, average rating, top three. Uh, 3.8. The top, the, no, the top, the top one is 3.5 is the highest. Oh, wow. Price. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, top the top one three is, top one is Parent Trap. Yes. Number two is The Holiday. Yes. Number three is The Intern. Correct. It's the same <laughs> as Popter. Then it's Something's Gotta Give. It's complicated. And at the bottom, What Women Want. So yeah, most appearances, I would say Diane Keaton is there because Diane Keaton's been, well, in its writing stuff, Diane Keaton's been Something's Gotta Give, Father the Bride 1 and 2, and um, uh, uh, Baby Boom. If we're talking like of the ones she directed, is it John Krasinski? <laughs> Lindsay Lohan's got He's two in, appearances as well. Lindsay Lohan has two as well. I forgot. Yes, you're correct. She's in. She's in Deception. Um, Deception trailer. It's one of the. I think it's one of them too. 
I think it's either Lindsay Lohan or John Krasinski. I wonder if there's a uh someone with three. Um so yeah, uh next or not final questions. I have one more question. I'm gonna see if you can answer. When looking at all of her films, what home would you want to live in? <laughs> um probably the so I, I love a beach house. I'm a I'm a beach I'm a I'm I'm a coastal guy beach house for life so i'm i'm going something that's got to give house sounds gotta give it's a good that's a good pick that's a really good pick i i would probably pick meryl streep's house and it's complicated that's a that's a nice house santa barbara it's kind of out there it's like not 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 too far from the beach but kind of secluded you know very very 1920s-esque spanish architecture mm -hmm. it's really great uh okay final director questions is nancy myers not tour i think so i think so she's she's working with similar crew a lot similar composers she's got a very distinctive style like we said i mean all the way down to like opening with a voiceover over like stock footage um yeah uh yeah uh, the very heavy hand in production design yeah i think i think she is absolutely um i i don't think i don't think people like to talk about our tours as much when it comes to a genre like this you know Yep. It, it tends to be something a little bit more genre heavy, kind of like you were saying earlier with kind of the idea that she mastered the rom-com. It's funny, someone that she really reminds me of that I had never made the connection until you brought up Alan Burns, but um, her body of work and just kind of her style of storytelling reminds me a lot of James L. Brooks. Yep. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see that they both kind of came from that TV world, uh, specifically Mary Tyler Moore. Yep. Um, and I think they are good friends too. And I, I think both of them have bring a TV sensibility to movies, which allows both of them to kind of throw out the traditional movie structure, structure. That, that you yeah. and I are used to. Um, so yeah. yeah, something like broadcast news with the way they handle a, a, a love triangle uh, as good as it gets. Obviously yeah. the Jack Nicholson kind of tie over, but yeah, it's not, I think, he's in that same category of someone I would someone I would call an auteur but wouldn't necessarily ever be brought up both of them would not be brought up with the the auteurs making thrillers or the auteurs making crime movies um yeah I just agree. because I think people tend to think it's a little bit easier to just make a drama or just make a human comedy or rom-com or something like that and as you and I know comedy is hard <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> comedy is not an easy thing to tackle uh because with dramas they can be silent and still be good but if they ain't laughing it ain't working mm -hmm. um so i i think she i mean we've talked about this with Nora efron before too and we did that episode on her it's a very similar thing is that i think both of them have crafted kind of how you can tackle a rom-com and i think it's it's i think Nora efron is probably the more traditional in terms of structure um mm -hmm. but still she kind of does a few maybe in seattle is kind of it's a similar version of the holiday it's a it's a little more i don't say melancholy but a little more uh uh i guess darker in tone to some extent nancy myers films are always kind of soft mm -hmm. in terms of like their look and their vibe to them but i think they both are underappreciating kind of how they controlled their or how they control controlled or control their narratives and their aesthetics and kind of their path they're like as Tarantino says, they're your kind of canon of films. I think they're all, they very much fit. They have a very specific canon of films. Yeah, absolutely. They make always, that always feels like them. 
All right, next question. What are Nancy Myers running themes and tropes too? Because there's a few tropes in here I want to bring up. <laughs> um, love, love later in life. I mean, even even with the parent trap. Yeah. Not saying that those two characters are old in any way, but um, you know, she's not she's not interested in like first love. You know. No, you're um, right. Yeah, I agree. N- none of her movies are really like, oh, this is my first true love. It's all about recovering from some sort of heartbreak yeah and opening yourself back up again yeah obviously with a couple of these kind of guys playboys being put in their place even if that means setting someone up to be a playboy and revealing uh that he is that he is not i don't want to say that like empowering women is a theme because that just sounds cheap but uh yeah, yeah. well I, i'll say this, it is agency f- female agency for sure my thing with the feet with the female characters in a lot of her films it's usually you say we're not talking about young love or first love it, it's a lot of the women in her movies they are already successful like they have found mm-hmm. their spot and their career what women want is more like helen hunt still kind of fighting for it but she's still good at what she does yeah, Mel, Meryl Streep and, and it's complicated. Is she's good at what she does? Um, Diane Keaton is good at what she does as a playwright in, in, in that film. Uh, Anne Hathaway, the whole thing is about her being almost too good at what she does. Yeah, and they're afraid that she's going to burn out because of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of this reoccurring theme is that a lot of her, a lot of her female characters either have have placed a stake in like what they are and what they do. Or there's doubts that they're like almost too good at what they do. And it's almost mm-hmm. like, when's the fall going to happen? That's kind of this reoccurring theme. And it starts all the way back with Baby Boom, I think, too, with, with Diane Keaton there. Um, yeah. It's, it's, that's all. It's this idea of like where they're at in their in their life. And then love just and it's almost like they 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 all end up with someone. But you could theoretically see them not ending up with anyone and it being OK. Mm-hmm. I feel like because they, they have these other things in their lives with some of them. I think like it's complicated as that one. It does that. The holiday is kind of the only one that really you have to have these people get together in the end. Um, Cause that is her most, I think straightforward rom-com. Yeah. Although not as much for, I mean the, I think the, the like Hollywood storyline is, is more focused on her relationship with Eli Wallach than it actually is when when you when you look at yes. it than with Jack Black. Yeah, I think the Cameron Diaz storyline. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eli Wallach storylines is also kind of feels like an early version of the Intern in a way. Yeah, that's of true. like the the friend the friendship angle. But yeah, so, and then tropes. Like I said this. It's those characters of the the female characters always in their place. I think her use of music, the way she uses music in her films. I mean, hell, she used a Kendrick Lamar in the, in the Intern. That was odd to me. Uh, <laughs> um so she has she's very sometimes the music really hits of like modern day stuff but then it's like it's uh butterfly by crazy town something's gotta give as the opening <laughs> um so yeah um and so it's the bit i mean this is the easy one but what genres does she work with then yeah i mean they, these are rom-coms as, as non-traditional as they might be in their structure they're epic rom-coms they're epic rom-coms, epic rom-coms. <laughs> there you go <laughs> I know I'm joking when I said it in a way, but I'm also being serious. Like, do do you, is there another filmmaker or is there another rom-com you can think of that is like epic in that nature of like off the top of your head, at least of like jumping from place to place, a extended amount of time over two hours. I mean, the only thing I would say is like the people who are doing like ad- adventure, you know, the adventure movie, that kind of rom-com, you know, the, the kind of thing that, that we thought jungle cruise was going to be, but wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then all, 
love, but also I would say love actually could be considered like an epic rom-com yeah, in terms sure. of like how of, of, of the, the weaving of stories. It's a two and a half hour runtime. Like, I think, I think Nancy Myers and love actually kind of like Richard Curtis stuff kind of fits into that realm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It was specifically with love actually. So yeah, rom-coms, I, I, I don't love the term chick flicks. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that cause it's not really that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a rom-com. She has rom-coms sewer. She's great at it. She had five movies that made over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Uh, <laughs> Someone other than, than chicks were seeing those movies. Um, so yeah, so that's it on our Nancy Myers episode. Thomas, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week we will be staying in the realm of comedy. So we did start off with like a couple some heavy weeks uh, into, into yep. the lighter weeks. Um, but we'll be staying in the realms of comedy with someone we've uh, discussed earlier this month who had an influence on one of our earlier directors, but um, we'll be talking about Amy Heckerling, uh, a very influential comedic director who kind of paved the way for female directors in, in the eighties with uh, films like uh, fast times at Richmond high and, and clueless. So we'll be diving into that. So yeah, we saved the, we saved the fun, the two fun episodes for last. <laughs> I was trying to like pace it out. Like, can we do it this way? But I was like, we're just gonna have to do the front load with the, the, the dark dramatic ones and the, and the, the funny kind of, may probably more mainstream ones in the back half so yeah but that's all we have for this episode make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast on our podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on yeah guys we'd love love to hear from you love to hear what you've been thinking of this kind of setup we've done this month uh and and you know get the word out let everybody else know if you're if you're a fan uh any reviews kind of raise our visibility on the platform um and yeah if you already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram thomas and always thank you so much for joining me yeah man absolutely and thank you all for listening we hope you listen more episodes soon bye